that 2006. That's just me getting there. Uh, and I wanted to say, I wanted us to sing it. There is an endless song. There is an endless sermon. That was a joke. <laughs> but if you got God's book, turn with me, please, in the Old Testament to Micah. There's one that always drops open automatically. Micah. Micah chapter 7. You find Ezekiel, and then just keep turning right, Daniel, and you just keep going, and you'll, you'll happen upon Micah. Micah chapter 7. And as you're getting there, let me just set you a context. Micah is what is known as an 8th century BC prophet. And he prophesied alongside with Isaiah in Jerusalem, otherwise known as the southern kingdom of Judah. And at the same time, Amos and Hosea were up in the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay? Micah chapter 7. I remind you that this is the word of the living God, and I invite you, please, if you can, to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Micah 7, verse 1. What misery is mine. I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave, the godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen has come. The day God visits you. Now is the time of their confusion. Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with her who lies in your embrace, be careful of your words. For a son dishonors his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Let's remain standing for prayer, please. Thanks be to God. God, there's no voice like yours. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And I do pray, Christ Jesus, light of the world, that you will come and lift the veil of darkness from over every heart and mind and life. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And by the grace of God, I'm glad to testify that I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength and that already today I am prayed for uncovered. Thanks be to God. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. A postman was delivering a, a special delivery package to a factory. And the package was addressed to Mr. Cuddlebrake. And as the postman reached the gates of the factory, he said to the security guard, he said, excuse me, do you have a cuddlebrake here? And the security guard said, cuddlebrake, we don't even get a tea break. 
By the time Micah reaches the seventh chapter of his prophecy, he was in great need of a cuddle break. As he he laments here at the beginning of uh, chapter 7, verse 1, what misery is mine. Have you ever been there? What misery is mine. There are some hearing me this evening and it has taken everything you have just to be here tonight. Some are carrying fresh wounds which life has dealt them just this last week. Others have been under a burden of misery for years. Even others are are bearing open but just under the surface scars which others know nothing about because they never show them, never speak of them. Or perhaps others never ask about or look for, probably a combination of both. But they're real and they're there and they need attending to. Have you ever taken a moment as God allows you to gather here Sunday by Sunday? Every time you gather, have you ever taught stop to think about the amount of hurt sat next to you? What misery. What misery is mine. It's not just Micah's misery, is it? It's ours too. And it's not just Micah who needs a cuddle break. What misery is mine. The King James Version renders it, woe is me. Woe is me. Three student psychiatrists of different nationalities were attending their first class on emotional extremes. And just the the professor said, just to establish some parameters, he said to the student from Europe, what is the opposite of sadness? And the European student said, joy. The professor asked the African student, and the opposite of depression? And the young lady from Africa said, elation. And you, sir, the professor said to the young man from the United States, Texas to be exact. He says, how about the opposite of woe? And the Texan replied, sir, I believe that would be giddy up. (laughs) If only our woes would giddy up, amen? If only our misery would just disappear. Woe is me. What misery is mine. And this is the reason why I really wanted us to sing that song tonight. Because I want to invite you to consider these verses with me under the title, What Misery is Mine, Our Song in Four Movements. Now, in musical terms, a movement refers to a major section in a larger musical work. And each movement or section will have its own unique and characteristic factors, for example, its key, its tempo, its structure and style. And here, as part of the larger body of work in the first seven verses of Micah, I detect four movements. What misery is mine, our song in four movements. But why do I say our song? Well, let me answer that by way of a true story about a budgie called Chippy. In a few hectic moments or movements, Chippy's life was changed forever. He never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next he was sucked in, washed up 
and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. This is a true story. And she removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck the end of the hose into the cage. The phone rang as she did that, and she turned to pick the phone up, and she'd barely said hello when <laughs> Chippy got sucked in. Well, the bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag, and there was Chippy, still alive, but stunned. Since the bird was covered in dust, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the tap, and held Chippy under running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. <laughs> Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who'd initially written about this contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. And the owner said this, Well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. Anyone hearing me lost your song? Like Chippy, you never saw it coming. Like Chippy, your world has been, has been invaded, turned upside down, sucked in, washed up, blown over. You've been drowned and blasted, still alive but stunned. And like I suggested a few moments ago, you're here but barely here. What a hoover can do to a budgie, life can do and does do to every single person. To Micah and to us. What misery is mine, our song in four movements. Many of us will remember the shooting rampage back in 2007 at Virginia Tech in the United States. It left 32 people dead and dozens more injured. In the days after that monstrous evil, Philip Yancey was invited to speak to the student body and he said to them and us, he said, pain is a sign of life and love. That's why it's our song. What misery is mine. Pain is a sign of life and love. We've seen that on the streets of our nation and across our communities in these last months, haven't we? Pain is a sign of life and love. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6, verse 8, probably the pinnacle of Micah's prophecy, undoubtedly the best known words from it. He showed you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God? But that's not where Micah lived. That's not what and, and who he was surrounded by. And when things are not as they're supposed to be, when, when life is out of shape, when people, including self, are twisted, for whatever reason, it's hard to take, hard to go on, hard to sing. Do you know how it was for Micah where he lived? Well, look back at the first chapter, Micah 1, verses 8 and 9. And Micah is speaking of the northern kingdom of Israel and its sin of idolatry, and he says in Micah 1 and verse 8, Because of this, remember he's in the southern kingdom, Because of this I will weep and wail, I will go 
about barefoot and naked, I will howl like a jackal like, and moan like an owl, for her wound is incurable. It has come to Judah. It has reached the gate, the very gate of my people. Even Jerusalem itself. Do you see what he's saying? It's come to where I am. Are you ever shocked by what comes to the gates of your life that you thought never would? You can't believe it's happened. You never expected it to be like this. How could it be? What has happened to us? Not, not this, not here, not now, not my beloved, not my Jerusalem, not this burden, not this grace, this disgrace rather. It has come to Judah. It's reached the very gate of my people, even Jerusalem itself. What misery is mine, our song. You see it? Unlike Chippy, but more crucially like Micah, we've lost our song, some of us, and we don't sing anymore. Instead, we lament what misery is mine. Christianity has been called a singing religion. King David expressed the song of salvation in Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. There's always a song to sing. When Jesus entered Jerusalem in those final days before the cross, the people sang, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And Jesus said in Luke 19.40, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There's always a singer to sing. The Bible tells us in Acts 16 verses 25 and 26 that as Paul and Silas were singing hymns to God, the prison doors flew open and their chains came loose. There's always a reason to sing. There's always a song to sing. There's always a singer to sing. There's always a reason to sing. Hear it, how Satan wants to stop the song. Oh, yes. How Satan wants to stop the song. Are you aware that there was a 16-month period in King David's life when the sweet psalmist of Israel did not write even one psalm? When Israel's singer of song didn't sing. And it proved to be one of the darkest and most troublesome and sorrow-filled period of his life. How Satan wants to stop the song. There's always a song to sing, but Satan wants us to forget the words. There's always a singer to sing, but Satan doesn't want it to be you or me. And there's always a reason to sing, but Satan wants to keep you in prison. Bound by chains. What misery is mine, our song in four movements. Here's the first. Disappointment can steal our song. And what a picture of disappointment the remaining words of Micah 7 verse 1 are. I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. Disappointment. Proverbs 10 verse 5 tells us, He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Micah was not a disgraceful son. He had been faithful to his calling. He confronted a people who had become so self-centered and carnally indulgent, becoming twisted in the process, 
But by the onset of chapter 7, verse 1, he had nothing to show for it, no converts to point to. There was none who seemed to hear him, never mind get it. What misery is mine. I'm like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There's no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. Disappointment can steal the song. Some of us are like that about our unsaved family. After all this time, still. Or that Sunday school class, or that youth group, all those sermons, all those prayers, and nothing, it seems, no fruit. Disappointment can steal the song. Here, Micah is like John the Baptist in Matthew 11. You remember John the Baptist, the man of the outdoors, who finds himself confined in a small, dark, stinky, dirty cell. And he sends his own disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus, I never thought it would be like this. If you are who you say you are, then why am I still here like this? Many of us too have been like that. In unfair places, facing prolonged difficulty with no end in sight, no explanation to help make sense of things, no seeming answer from heaven, disappointment can steal the song. Then what about the two on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24 and verse 21? Having followed Jesus all the way to the cross, but now walking away from the cross, getting out of Jerusalem and their testimony of disappointment, we had hoped but no longer. Not now. (laughs) Not after this. We had hope. Anyone want to testify? (laughs) We had hoped. Disappointment can steal our song. Here's the next thing, the second movement. Disillusionment can spoil our song. Over in Ephesians 4 verse 2, the Bible says, be patient, be long-suffering, bearing with one another. The Greek word we translate be patient or long-suffering is used more in regard to people, whether it be self or others, more than anything else. It's about people more so than happenings, events, circumstances. Be patient, long-suffering. And isn't that an accurate commentary on how it is? More than anything which may happen to us, how people can be, what people can do, has the potential to damage us more than anything. And that's exactly what Micah was was having to come to terms with in verses 2 through 4 of Micah 7. The godly have been swept away from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman has come. The day God visits you. Now is the time of their confusion. That's the day the prophets had been warning of. And what a confusing time it was. Everything was upside down. Good turned on its head. The people in positions of trust and responsibility proving themselves to be dishonest and irresponsible, damaging and dangerous. We too live in a day of confusion, don't you think? When wrong is right and black is white and up is down, this generation in referring to what is good now calls it wicked. And God help us, we've even done that in the church. I don't know if you ever sang it here, I hope you didn't. 
In the 90s, there was a wee children's chorus. It's great, great, brill, brill, wicked, wicked, skill, skill to have a friend like Jesus. You understand that we're a breath away from saying that God is wicked. Isaiah prophesied at the same time as Micah. And Isaiah said in Isaiah 5 verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We in the church, we think it's cool. It's carnal. Our problem is that we don't think, and can I say this to you at no extra charge, not everything from Hillsong is worthy to be sung in church. We've got to think about what we're singing. Now is the time of their confusion. What has happened to us in the church? What we're putting up with? Some of the rubbish that we are singing these days. And God is not honoured. It may be hip, but it's not holy. The influence of idolatry and moral insanity which had reached the gate of Jerusalem, remember chapter 1 verse 9, was now infecting and defiling every level of society, the priests in the temple, the judges in the court, the leaders at the city gate. What about the priests of today? It seems that church after church are giving in to public pressure as we see gay ministers ordained in the church and churches blessing gay marriages. Let me tell you, such is not a biblical church. God did not make Adam and Steve to become one flesh. He made Adam and Eve to become one flesh. Pastors and preachers who are caught in adultery being allowed to remain in the pulpit in their charges. I believe in forgiveness. But according to the scriptures, forgiveness and restoration are not the same thing. Proverbs 6.23 says that the shame of the adulterer will never be wiped away. Not talking about forgiveness, it's talking about consequences. The abuse of trust. The godly swept away. What about our society? From our discredited politicians to our judicial system. Hear it. If we can't be trusted in the secret place, then we're not trustworthy and should not be trusted in the public place. No matter what the European Court of Human Rights and the like say, a judicial system which does more for the rights of the offender than the victim is not just. It's not honourable. Verse 4. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright worse than a thorn hedge. Piercing, hurting, damaging those who come near to touch them. We live in a society that is preoccupied with saving the environment, but scandalously quiet when it comes to saving the unborn child. Protecting animals. Hugging trees. But murdering children. Christians are not allowed to challenge or question, or disagree with anybody, but everybody can offend us. Why? Because we let them. And to have to live within the midst of such moral murkiness can have a deadly effect of disillusionment upon us, can't it? Where we can just get so tired of, of swimming against the tide that we just give up and get swept away 
And our song, in the reality of it, the singer of it, and the reason for it, our song is spoiled. Look how things are. Why bother? It's all just too much. It just gets wasted. Disillusionment can spoil our song. Martin Niemöller was a pastor in Germany during the Nazi oppression of the Second World War. He was taken to a concentration camp. He, he wrote this. They came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me, and there was nobody left to speak up for me. Disengagement can silence the song. And we again reach the meltdown of Micah's day when it's not just the gates of the city and the structures of our society, but it's the doors of the home, the foundations of family. Micah 7 verse 5, Do not trust a neighbor, put no confidence in a friend. Even with her who lies in your embrace, be careful of your words. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the members of his own household. Relationships meant for closeness, intimacy, and trust become distant and detached and deformed, defiled, because there's no longer proper communication, practical caring, personal commitment, neither the desire or the ability for such things. Disengagement can silence the song because there's nobody to sing to, no one to sing for, no one to teach the song to. I've had the privilege of being a pastor for 25 years and I've seen it again and again and again. Home is not only where the heart is, it's also where the heart is. Probably for most hearing me this evening, our woe, the misery which is ours, has to do with home. How many are engaged with television, Facebook, the football team, DIY, even the church, but are disengaged with their spouse, disengaged with their children, disengaged with their parents? Please hear me. Social media is inherently antisocial because of what it loses and sacrifices. Question, is Twitter for twits? They always say, more often than not, the answer is in the question, Twitter. Disengagement can silence the song. Relationships meant for closeness and intimacy. And trust become distant and destroyed. There's no proper communication, practical caring, personal commitment. Wives, do you know what God's will is for you? Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wife, love your husband so much as to live for him. And all the fellows are saying, amen. Preach it, Stuart. <coughs> love your husband so much as to live for him. Amen. Husband, do you know what God's will for you is? 
Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husband, love your wife so much as to die for her. Oh, I'm not sure. But it's there. Love your wife so much as to die for her. We might not all be married, but we are all children, some younger children. Others are older children. No matter our age, we're all children. You know what God's will for the children is? Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey, respect, honor your parents and the Lord, for this is right. If we love God and are going for him, we will not be bad-mouthing our parents. If you're bad-mouthing your mum and dad, you're not right with God. Mum and dad, you know what God's will for you is? Ephesians 6.4 Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of God. Because this is true. The church can rarely resurrect in one hour on a Sunday morning what the home is putting to death during the week. And mum and dad, if you're not raising your children to be, pagan, to, to be Christian, you're raising pagans. What's the message? Don't disengage. Don't fragment. Stay connected. Stay committed. Keep the song going. Don't stop singing. And for many of all ages, a good start would be to close that laptop, turn off that mobile phone, and please get off Facebook. It is killing us. It is damaging us. Disengagement can silence our song. So there's disappointment, disillusionment, disengagement. Verse 7 introduces a new theme, a new movement. But as for me, Micah 7 verse 7, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Disentanglement saves our song. Disentanglement saves our song but as for me in other words as for me i'm not going to live like that i'm not going to have i'm not going to let misery have the last word and sound the last note but as for me disentanglement saves our song now we should not deny the misery of our discouragement and disillusionment and disengagement but we do need to disentangle these things I would suggest, and get some proper perspective and order. Well, this morning I made reference to the man from Del Monte, showing our ages. Many of us will remember that classic Morecambe and Wise sketch with Andre Previn. <laughs> and Eric Morecambe is, is playing the piano terribly, playing the wrong notes, and he gives Previn or preview his take. He says, I'm playing all the notes, but not necessarily in the right order. That's some of us. We need to sort out a few things. You understand that's why you have to settle Sunday. I don't know about you, but I find that after six days living in this world, being surrounded by the garbage, I need a Sunday to get some perspective. And can I remind you, it's the Lord's Day. Yes. Not the Lord's half day. It's the Lord's Day. That was at no extra charge. But some of us, we need to get things sorted. Things are out of sorts. Things have got tangled up and twisted and they're in a bit of a mess, not in the right order. And so we need to disentangle. But as for me, disentanglement saves our song. Hear it. There's always a song to sing, a singer to sing it, 
and a reason to sing it. Disappointment is not the song. It's only a movement within it. It will pass. Disillusionment is not the song. Only a movement within it. It will not always be like the misery it is. How often has Satan told you that lie? He says it'll always be like this from now on. You'll never get out of it. That's a lie. Just a movement. Disengagement is not the song. It's only a movement within it. It's not the end. Disentanglement saves the song. But as for me, we will get there. We'll get through and go on. You'll be so glad you held on to God and believed him and went his way. Let me tell you, you will. And this disentangling involves watching and waiting and worshipping. You see, folks, let me tell you, there's a day God's watchmen have been warning of. A day of God's visitation. Verse 4. The day of your watchman has come. The day God visits you. Now is the time of their confusion. And if we don't disentangle, we'll not be clear and clean and ready when God comes. But we'll be among the confused and the unprepared. Disentanglement saves the song. There's the disentanglement of watching. Micah says, I watch in hope for the Lord. Do that. The disentanglement of watching, I watch and hope for the Lord. There's a disentanglement of waiting. I wait for God, my Savior. Stick with God. From the very first, Satan, the enemy of our souls, has always sought to rush us on to rash and false conclusions about God. He wants to make us doubt the goodness and kindness and trustworthiness of God. I see the wrong that round me lies. I feel the guilt within. I hear with groan and travail cries the world confess its sin. Yet in the maddening maze of things and tossed by storm and flood to one fixed trust my spirit clings. I know that God is good. The disentanglement of watching, the disentanglement of waiting, and then what I call the disentanglement of worship. Micah says... My God will hear me. What would it do to your misery if you really knew, I mean, I'm talking, you really knew that God hears you and that he will do everything he has promised, every single word? What would it mean for your days if you knew, I mean, really knew that God sees you and will never let you go? He'll never walk away from you. He'll never leave you. What would it mean for you if you knew, I mean, and it's not about how we feel, but we know, if we really knew that God loves you with what Max Licado describes as that longer than forever love. What would you do? What would it mean for you if you really knew that to your little life there is a God day coming? Would it not cause you to worship? My God will hear me. The disentanglement of worship, saving the song. Would you close your Bibles, please? What misery is mine? The church youth choir took time to visit an old Nazarene pastor. His name was Milo Arnold. He was in a nursing home. And the choir crammed into his small room where Milo 
sat slumped over in a wheelchair, victim to that cruel disease, Alzheimer's. He was a shadow of the person they had once known, even just a few months earlier. You know how it can be. Would he recognize them? Had the disease removed their familiar faces from his mind? And he sat quietly as the youth choir sang a couple of songs. And finally, Milo Arnold looked up and he said, Young people, could you sing Blessed Assurance? And the teens began to sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Aid of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. And when they finished singing, tears running down their faces and his, he asked them to sing it again. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And old Milo Arnold began to sit up just a little straighter. And for a few moments, that wheelchair became his pulpit. And the teens listened as this old man of God spoke with quiet conviction. And he said, young people, never be bitter. Bitterness spoils the fruit of your lives. Rotten fruit isn't good for anything. And he began to talk of the hard trials of life and the goodness of God's keeping grace. And the victim of one of the world's cruelest diseases did not seem a victim of all. Never be bitter. Bitterness spoils the fruit of your lives. Rotten fruit isn't good for anything. What was Milo saying but keep the God song going? Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness lost in his love. Keep singing God's song. There is an endless song. Let's pray together, please. And just in this moment of private prayer and reflection, What's God been whispering to your heart tonight? There's always a song to sing. There's always a singer to sing. There's always a reason to sing. I know there's misery and disappointment, disillusionment, disengagement, but watch for him. Wait on him. Worship him. 
though the fig tree does not bud. And there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. There are no, uh, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Can I say to you tonight, He is greater than whatever the matter could be. And He is worthy of your trust. He's able for your trust. Perhaps you're here tonight And you've never truly received Christ as Savior. And if you doubt that you have, there's probably a good chance that you haven't because he brings assurance. Even now, why don't you reach out to him in your heart and your own words and just take him at his word. And the beginning point of knowing Christ is that you acknowledge who he is, you believe what he's done for you on the cross, and that you commit to follow him for the rest of your life, in all of your life. That's not a maturity point or a growth point. It's the starting point of what it means to follow Christ. Perhaps there's others hearing me and you just battered and you know you've lost your song. Watch for him. He will come. Wait on him. He will not disappoint you. Worship him. You'll be so glad that you trusted him. My God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. You know the lives that we return to tonight in a few moments. Thank you that you're able. And I pray that you'd sink your truth deep in our hearts and that we will know that there really is a song that is an endless song and we'll sing our part for your glory. In Christ's name, and everybody said.